It's been almost two months since we launched She Launch, and you know when you love something so much that you want to do it every single day? That is me on the coaching calls inside She Launch. I literally want to do them every single day. I love it. And for those of you that have not heard of She Launch, it is for female coaches, consultants, and service providers who are wanting to earn six figures online with their dream business. Inside, we teach sales, marketing, leads, mindset, AI, offer mastery, and so much more. We also have just launched the She Launch CRM. Yep, we have our very own amazing CRM now, which I'm so excited about. Now, I believe this is the best online business and mindset training for female entrepreneurs, but don't take my word for it. Here is what Eilish has to say about it. The community is absolutely incredible as well. That's another thing that I really love about SheLaunch. Again, I've been in masterminds where the community's been either dead in the water or it's just had a weird vibe. (laughs) And with SheLaunch, the community is nurturing. They're really kind to each other. They're so supportive. And you feel like you are part of something really special. So if you are thinking about joining, jump on a call and then see what you think, because I know that you won't be disappointed. And this is what Rita thinks. I have absolutely loved every second of the She Launch program. I cannot explain how deeply transformative it has been for me personally. I am eternally grateful. It is worth every cent and I would highly recommend it to anybody. And here's what Belinda thinks. Signing up for She Launch is one of the best decisions I ever made. The content is extensive and groundbreaking amazing. Uh, Melissa and all the team are so supportive, helpful, always there for you and really loving kindness. Plus the connections I've made with the ladies that are in the group have been exceptional. We're all a team. We all support each other. If you're going to do something, sign up for She Launch. It's amazing. Babe, I would love and be honoured to work with you. All you have to do is head to shelaunch.com for all the details. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Head to shelaunch.com and I cannot wait to meet you. This is episode number 215 with Amy McCready. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? I just wanted to quickly remind you that if you haven't already, make sure you hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app. Mine is Himalaya. For those of you that have not heard of Himalaya, it's an epic brand new podcast app, which has so many awesome and unique features no other podcast app has, like episode and channel playlists. It's free, so easy to find new shows, 
and is really user-friendly. So head on over to the app or Google Play Store to download it today. Don't forget to follow me once you're done so that you can listen to my episodes one day earlier than they're usually released. Pretty cool, huh? This episode is brought to you by Uveda. As you guys know, I'm obsessed with Ayurveda and Uveda is an epic, heart-centered, family-owned Ayurvedic company with a larger-than-life vision to create a healthier, happier world using the intelligence of Mother Nature. Now, I truly wish that none of us needed supplements. But in this modern world, with the depletion in our soil and with the full lives we all lead these days, sometimes our bodies need some extra love and support. This is why I love Uveda. They are such high-grade, Ayurvedically developed supplements to support not only your body, but your mind and soul too, helping you rebalance and come back to homeostasis, which is what the body wants. I love their mood supplements and love how they come in individual packs, perfect for someone who travels as much as I do. Now I've teamed up with Uveda to give you, the Epic MA Tribe, 35% off your first order. So all you have to do is head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash Uveda, and that is spelt Y-O-U-V-E-D-A, and you can get your 35% off your first order right now. Amy McCready, who describes herself as a recovering yeller, is the founder of PositiveParentingSolutions.com and the author of two best-selling parenting books called If I Have to Tell You One More Time and The Me, Me, Me Epidemic, a step-by-step guide to raising capable, grateful kids in an over-entitled world. And she has an online parenting course that teaches parents of toddlers to teens how to get their kids to listen without nagging, yelling, or punishing, which sounds pretty good to me. She's also a regular contributor on TV programs like The Today Show, CBS This Morning, CNN, The Doctors, Fox and Friends, and so many more. And she's also appeared on The Today Show in Australia. And in today's episode, which you guys are going to love, We chat about her story from working in corporate America to how she became a parenting expert, why are kids more entitled today, how to create capable, grateful children in an over-entitled world, what are the overs and how you can use them, why you do need to give your children what they are actually entitled to, the when-then practice and how to apply it to teach kids valuable life skills, why you don't want to call them chores and homework and what to use instead, what is the time for training technique and how you can apply it, how to train your kids to be financially fit, what is the no rescue policy, the best way to respond to your children when they are pushing the boundaries, what is convince me and how you can use it, what are your children's basic needs, this is really important, we all need to know this, How to invite cooperation into your home and family life. This is so important. How to show respect to your kids. How to invite kids into the decision-making process so their core desires of respect are being met. 
how to stop asking your kids to do things a million times, this will be a massive relief for a lot of parents out there. The power of a desirable activity, why we personally don't reward Leo with sweets or money and what we do instead, how to make parenting fun because it really should be fun, the power of a family meeting, her epic morning routine to get her family energized for the day, plus so much more. And for everything that Amy and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. And that is over at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 215. But before we dive into this epic conversation, I want to read the review of the week. And this week it comes from Levi41 and it's a five-star review and it's titled Not Your Ordinary Podcast. And Levi says, gorgeous, educated, kind, caring, and body and earth conscious. What a woman. I love listening to your podcast, Melissa. The world needs more people like you in it. I can't wait to continue to grow together. Thank you so much, Levi. That is such a beautiful review. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And don't forget that if you want to be the review of the week for next week, all you have to do is head on over to iTunes and leave me that five-star review right now. And I would be so grateful. And now, without further ado, let's get this conversation started with the incredible Amy McCready. Amy, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. But before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? (laughs) Well, let's see. I had a cheese stick and a piece of whole wheat toast. So kind of a mix of healthy and unhealthy there. It was a quick get out the door kind of morning. (laughs) Right, right. Now, I'm so excited to dive into today's topic with you. But before we do that, can you tell us your story and how you got to where you are today doing this work? Like, how did this all unfold for you? Well, I think like most journeys, you know, it's it certainly was not a straight path. My My professional experience was in corporate America, working for big companies, and that's just always what I did. And then when I had children, I was a working mom and traveling and raising children. And I found raising children so much more difficult than my professional life. And maybe because I'm sort of a type A personality, kind of a driver, you know, I just expected my kids to do what I would I wanted them to do and they would hop when I say hop. And, you know, raising kids is just not that way. And what I found is that with my sort of controlling and driving tendencies, what was happening is I was getting just big time power struggles from my kids and they were just wonderful little kids, but it was me. And so I thought I better really do something about this because I was not having fun as a mom. I was yelling too much. It just was not bringing me the joy that parenthood should. And so I just started studying parenting. I started taking classes and I loved it. It was just life-changing because when I started using these strategies with my kids, their behavior was better and I felt better about myself and I wasn't yelling anymore. And it just turned our whole family around. And so 
kind of where that went is I just started studying more and more. And I thought, you know what? This is really my passion. I loved my corporate job, of course, but this is really where I want to spend my time and energy. And so I spent probably the next five years studying and creating my own curriculum because a lot of my business background was in training. And I created a curriculum and started teaching it to parents and they loved it. And I did it in churches and schools and all sorts of little venues. But then of course, online training came about. And so I could, I could reach people all over the world. I have such a huge base in Australia and the UK and of course the US, but it has been my life's work ever since. So I never thought I would be a parenting educator, but this is what I've been doing and I can't imagine doing anything else. And how many kids do you have and what are their ages? Well, I have two boys who are grown up. So one is fully out of the house, off my payroll, <laughs> working in working in finance. And my second is in his in his senior year, a rising senior in college at university. So we have been through the toddler woes, the teenage years, and, and now it's just so nice having them sort of ready to flee the nest and they're capable and independent and somehow it all worked out. Often it's through the crisis or through the stumbling or the floundering, as I like to call it, that we have to kind of find our life raft. We have to kind of cling on to something. And for me, I have a 13-year-old stepson and I came into his life when he was seven and I was floundering. I had no idea how to parent or what to do. And I remember just going, how do people do this? How do people do this? And I didn't have the training wheels. You know, I was kind of plonked into this world and I'm so grateful for it, but I didn't have the warm up. You know, I just didn't really know exactly what to do. And so I was reaching for any parenting podcast and book and program just to kind of help myself. And so I love that you have created all of this stuff for us out there. And your book, How to Raise Capable, Grateful Kids in an Over-Entitled World, is awesome. And the tips and the tricks and the tools and the exercises, everything that you give in the book is really helpful. You know, there's so many little ways where I was like, oh, I didn't think of that. Or, oh my gosh, that's a really great idea. Like the body, mind and soul time. I was like, oh, wow. You know, we had something similar, but we didn't call it that. And you've kind of given it a great container and you've given it a name and some rules. And a lot of the things in the book I've read and then shared with my husband and we've implemented into our life. So I wanted to thank you for that. But For people like me who have children or have stepchildren, how do we raise these capable and grateful kids in this over-entitled world? Where do we start? How do we do it? Well, you know, it's funny as you're talking about raising capable, grateful kids in an over-entitled world. You know, when when I first started doing this work, I was teaching parents positive parenting strategies, positive discipline strategies. But in my interactions with parents, the theme that kept coming up over and over again was this issue of entitlement. And 
I thought, wow, this is really, this is really a pain point for parents. And so for this book, my second book, The Me, Me, Me Epidemic, I really tried to focus the different tools on how to sort of minimize that sense of entitlement. And I can share with you a lot of different ways to do that. But I think one of the most important things is to start with this question, you know, are kids more entitled today or you know, why are they more entitled today? And there are really some societal changes that have happened in the past two generations that sort of contribute to this sense of entitlement, if you will. And one of the biggest ones is that we don't actually need for our kids to contribute to the family like we did a couple of generations ago when Mm. we lived on family farms and everybody had family businesses. Back then, everybody had to contribute or the family didn't eat. You know, the family could not function without everybody contributing. So now kids don't have that sense of what it feels like to contribute to the greater good. Learn those skills that come from working on the farm or in the business. And so what happens as parents, as kids start to fuss or complain about helping out or contributing, parents figure, oh, why bother? It's not worth the hassle because They don't really need for them to contribute like they used to. And then there's technology and social media that plays a role. But I think the biggest piece of entitlement and the thing that we can really focus on in this conversation and your listeners can really take action on right away is what I call the overs, kind of the overparenting. So that would be overindulging our kids, overpraising, overdoing for them, doing things for them that they're perfectly capable of doing for themselves. And so it's just kind of some bad habits that we fall into that give our kids this attitude of entitlement. But the good news is, is that parents can turn this around with some, you know, pretty simple tools that they can start putting into place. Mm, I love that. And it is really true. You know, a few years ago when we realized, you know, we we would like Leo to start to contribute to living in the house more. So giving him, you know, little jobs and tasks to do around the house, we actually struggled to find things for him to do. Like, because we live in an apartment mm-hmm. and we were like, okay, well, what what can he do? We're like, we can take out the rubbish. Okay, that's one thing. He can water the plants. That's another thing. Like, but, you know, there's not like going out and milking the cows and bringing in the chicken eggs and all that sort of thing and, you know, going and picking fresh tomatoes and that sort of stuff. We don't have that. So we had to like kind of rack our brains a little bit about what else can he do? And so, yeah, I love that you pose that question, you know, are the kids more entitled today? And this really does encourage us to kind of think about how they can contribute. But before we talk about that, I would love to know, okay, if we do realize that we have these over-entitled children, how can, what can we do? Like, what are some of the things, what are some of the steps, the tools, what can we do to turn that around so that we can raise these really capable and grateful children? Well, the first thing that we want to do is to give them what they are truly entitled to, and that is our time. And you talked about mind, body, and soul time, which is spending one-on-one time when you are, it's one parent, one child, when you are fully present in mind, body, and soul and doing what the child wants to do. And that only has to be for 10 or 15 minutes once or twice a day. 
But the reality of life today and the pace of our existence is that we are going so fast and everybody is so busy that most parents don't even spend 10 minutes of one-on-one time. They don't even think about it. But when you start giving them that undivided attention every single day. And like you said with Leo, you call it something special. That changes so much because what we're doing is we're meeting our kids' hardwired emotional needs for emotional connection and attention. Essentially, we're filling their attention bucket. And we have to do that. Kids absolutely have to have our attention. If we don't give it to them proactively and positively by spending that one-on-one time, they're going to get our attention but it's going to be with those really annoying, frustrating, maddening, entitled behaviors. So the first step is to give them what they are entitled to. Then we'll start unentitling in some of the other areas. Does that make sense? Totally. And before I'd even read your book, we were doing that with Leah and we just called it special time because we realized that the dynamic of the three of us in the same room, we were butting heads a little bit. And we realized, you know, I was like, I think he just needs time with just you. You know, I was saying this to my husband. And so what they started doing was they were doing 10 minutes playing before school and then 10 minutes in the afternoon. And they would, you know, go down and kick the ball or practice soccer or cricket or something like that. And I cannot tell you the difference that those 10 minutes in the morning and 10 minutes in the afternoon made to Leo's happiness. It has changed everything about him. He is just such a more content young man. And so we realized, okay, that's really important that he needs that special time with his dad. And he also needs that special time with me. And we do our little thing together. It's very important. And I love what you say in the book that, you know, it just has to be 10 minutes, once or twice a day, depending how many kids you have. You might have five kids. And so twice a day may not be possible, but 10 minutes is all it really takes. Not when you're on your phone. It's just you give them that undivided attention and you let them choose what it is that you want to do in that time. I think it's a really powerful little exercise that you could start to implement into your life together. So that is the, I always tell parents that if you are only going to do one thing that I teach you, please let it be this one thing because it has the most direct impact on behavior. So you talked about Leo's happiness level. Well, what also comes from that is kids who are more cooperative, who push back less, who don't fight you on every little thing because we're meeting their core emotional needs. And just to give parents kind of a script of what that would sound like, you could say something like, Leo, we have 10 minutes before I have to start dinner, what would be the most fun thing for you and I to do during our special time together? Well, wow, what a hit of power for the child because so much of the day, it's the parents calling the shot, but for these 10 minutes, he gets to be in control of what you're going to do together. He has your time and your attention. He's not he's not sharing you with your husband or if there are other siblings. He has you all to himself and it has an absolute direct impact on positive behavior. Mm -hmm. And I love in the book that you give so many scripts. I think that's really awesome because, you know, sometimes it's like, well, how do I approach this? Especially if it's something new that you're implementing into your family. You know, ideally we would have all of this information in our brains before we have kids, but, you know, it's never too late ever 
So what are some other things that we can do? What are some other things that we can do to really raise these beautiful, capable, and grateful children? So let's go through kind of a couple of buckets of things. So the first bucket I call just expecting more. And it kind of gets to that issue that you talked about of contributing around the home. So our kids are so much more capable than we give them credit for. And they can and should make meaningful contributions to the family. I'm talking from like the time they're 18 months old. They can do really important jobs like you carry them into the room and they put the light switch up and down. Or little toddlers can separate socks. A little toddler can have a plastic knife and cut up cucumbers on a, on a cutting board while you're making salad. They can tear lettuce, of course, all the way up to teenagers. So it's really important to get them started early on contributing and giving them lots of encouragement when they do that. Like, wow, when you unloaded the dishwasher, that was a huge job that I didn't have to do. And it really made a difference for me. So we want to get them started early contributing, but if you haven't and you expect that it might be a little bit of a battle, you'll want to use a really important tool called when then or the when then routine. And essentially the way that works is after school, for instance, when you've finished your homework and done your family job, then you can enjoy your technology time. Or in the evening, when you've finished your family job and, you know, had your bath, have your pajamas on and your teeth brushed, then we can do stories and snuggles until 7.30 when it's lights out. So a when-then routine always structures the yucky stuff to happen before the fun stuff. And that's a great way to get those family contributions done without a lot of fussing from the kids. Because if they want to get to the technology, well, then they will get their family contribution done before that. And one other little note, a lot of, do you use the word chores, Melissa, in Australia? Would that be the word that parents typically use? Either chores or jobs, but we say tasks. Ah, okay. That's great. In the U.S., they use the word chores a lot, which sort of denotes drudgery, like, oh, nobody wants Mm -hmm. to do chore. So I like to call them family contributions because it just sends that message that when you do X, even though we know you probably don't enjoy it, you make a difference for our family. And that's just a really incredible sense of belonging. Like we're working together as a team for the greater good. And it gives the child a huge sense of, sense of significance and power. Yes, I absolutely agree. That's why I never used the word chores in our house. And, you know, we don't, we don't even say homework. Like we don't want it to sound like it's like something that they have to do. And it's like got that negative, icky connotation around it. So yeah, we say tasks or family contributions as well. I love it. What do you use? What do you say for homework? We say your assignments or home study. Mm-hmm. We say home study or or assignments. You know, whenever we get home, I'm like, do you have any home study or do you have any assignments that you need to get onto? And he'll be like, yes or no. Yeah. Cause I never, I just never really liked that word homework for some reason. You're so right. And they, that never occurred to me until just this moment. So thank you for that. That's okay. (laughs) I loved your strategy of the when then. I I loved reading that in the book. Another one that I loved was the time for training. So can you explain to us what time for training is? Yes. So as I mentioned, toddlers through teens should contribute on a daily basis. And 
Another reason that's important is because they have to learn skills so they can eventually move out of your house. So really like every every couple of weeks, every month, whenever it is, we should always be training our kids on some new skill. And some of it might be self-care activities, brushing their own teeth rather than you brushing for them, or tying shoes, ironing a shirt, or it could be contributions around the house. So it could be teaching them how to do a load of laundry, start to finish, from sorting to folding to putting away. Or it could be making things in the kitchen. So it doesn't have to be like difficult, terrible tasks, but it's just learning new skills all the time. So they're becoming more self-sufficient in their own care and they're learning new skills that they're contributing more to the family. And again, think about your child whenever they finish high school or their highest level of education and they move out of your house, they should be proficient in basically every skill that's required to run a home. But very often we don't think about that. And so we don't take the time to train them on those skills. So just being very intentional about training gives them really a sense of independence and significance because they're feeling more and more capable, again, raising capable kids. And we don't have to worry about that sense of, oh, I have to do everything for them because they're just not capable. So that's a really important skill from, again, the toddler years all the way through the teens. Oh, totally. I remember about a year ago, you know, we realized, okay, so Leo is 13. He only has, you know, we've only really got him under our roof till he's 18, till he finishes high school. And then you know, he can do what he wants. And so Nick and I made a list of all of the things that we want to teach him before he finishes high school. So that was things like how to do a load of washing, things like how to cook, you know, how to sell something secondhand or buy something secondhand, how to, you know, set up bank accounts, how to, you know, move money around, things like that. Just very basic things like we're talking about. And I know people that didn't get that training and they still are kind of fumbling through life. And you would say that they're not a very capable adult, like they need advice. They're always asking for, oh, can you help me with this? Can you do this for me? Can you, what do you think of this? And so they don't have that independence and that that self-confidence that we want to really raise our children with. And so Nick and I made this list of everything we would ideally love to teach Leo before he finishes school. And each week, we only have him 50% of the time. So we've only got two weeks out of the month. So each week we, and we usually do it on the weekend because during the week, sometimes he doesn't get home from school till 5.30. So on the weekends, we will implement one new thing and we will go through the time for training. So we will show him how to do it and we'll teach him and we take that time. And yes, it does take longer. And yes, it doesn't get done as neatly and as cleanly as you would like it. But we've got to let go of that control. We've got to surrender. And this is our job is to teach them these things because they don't necessarily learn these things at school. Some schools maybe, you know, but it's our responsibility to really teach them. And another really amazing book that I loved that I think everyone should get is The Barefoot Investor for Families. And that teaches you how to raise capable children around money 
So I will link to that in the show notes as well. So I think that would be a really that would be a really great compliment to your book. But is there anything else? Any other tips and tricks? I love when then. I love time for training. I love mind, body, and soul time. What else? What else can we do to create capable and grateful children? Well, I would love to just piggyback on your comment about teaching them buying and selling and how to use a bank account and all of that, because that's one of the big, again, kind of one of those big bucket areas for raising unentitled kids. And that is to really move them from a place of complete dependence dependence on us to complete independence when it comes to finances. So at a very young age, like, you know, three and a half or four, you can start giving your kids pocket money or an allowance. And so anytime you go to the store and they say, oh, I want that. Can I get that? You can say, oh, did you bring your pocket money? Or did you bring your wallet? And very early on, you get them into the habit of mom or dad don't buy things just because you want them when we go to the store, we save up for those. And then as kids get older and they're continuing to get an allowance or pocket money, the important piece of that is to make sure that you're giving them more expenses that they're responsible for. So if they buy lunch at school, you might give them a larger sum, but now they're responsible for budgeting that money to make sure they have enough money to get through the week or get through the month. Or when it's time to buy school supplies or school clothes, you give them that budgeted amount of money, but then it's up to them to decide how they're going to spend it. Are they going to blow it all on you know, a designer pair of jeans or a super cool bag, or are they going to spend that more judiciously? And so those are ways that kids can really develop skills around finance and budgeting and saving and investing. And again, so you can feel confident that when they are going off to university or whatever their next step is, that they are financially responsible. But that's another one of those things, like you mentioned, with take time for training that we have to be super intentional about. And it's balancing sort of the short-term and long-term parenting jobs. So really focusing on putting that that system, that financial system in place early on and maintaining it is really going to help them be more successful in the long run. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I didn't really get that financial training from my parents, but I got it from an older sister. When I was going through high school, she really implemented a lot of the financial training for me, not so much my parents, which is really interesting because she is six years older than me. But Yeah. So when I was in high school, she was studying to be a chartered accountant. So yeah, she was able to pass on her knowledge about finances and uh, to me, which was great. And I'm so grateful for because if I didn't have her teaching me that, I probably wouldn't have got that financial training. So I'm really grateful for that because yeah, my my parents, I I guess they just didn't know. So I'm um, so grateful that she was able to teach that to me. Well, and I think too, now there are so many more apps and, and helpful sites online that even if parents don't feel totally competent in that area, they're just wonderful resources. Yeah. The other area that I think we really have to focus on when we're talking about unentitling our kids and helping them be capable, grateful, and independent is another tool that I call the no rescue policy. And one of the things that I find with parents, I talked about sort of that overdoing. One of the things that 
we parents, because I did this myself too at times, we tend to rescue our kids. They forget their their homework or their assignments and we drive it to school. Or if they forget their lunch, we drive it to school. We drive the soccer bag because they have forgotten and haven't taken responsibility. And if that happens once in a great while, no big deal. We help each other out. We're a family. But if this is happening kind of every week or happening pretty frequently that the parent is getting annoyed by it, then we know that it's time to implement the no rescue policy. And the no rescue policy would be a conversation that says, you know, you are growing up in so many ways and you're really ready to start taking responsibility for remembering X, whatever that is, the homework, the lunchbox, the sporting equipment, whatever that happens to be. You are ready to take complete responsibility for that. So from now on, I'm not going to be reminding you about remembering your sports bag. And so you kind of lay it out there that I have turned this over to you. I've handed over the reins to you. But then you kind of have to go through, since I'm not going to be reminding you, what do you need to do? so that you can remember. And so basically you want to set the child up for success. Maybe he needs to make a list that he sees before he walks out the door. You know, there's all different systems that he can put in place to jog his memory. Maybe he puts an alert on his phone, whatever it happens to be. And then you kind of let that play out. And so you've talked about it. You He has set himself up for success, hopefully with his reminders. And then the next time that you see that bag sitting in the hallway after he's left for school, you just freeze and you don't get in your car and you don't drive it there. Mm -hmm. And that's a really hard thing for parents to do because we don't want to see our kids face an uncomfortable situation. We don't want them to get in trouble with the teacher or the coach, but we have to do that because if we keep stepping in and rescuing our kids, taking responsibility for things that they should be responsible for, we're really undermining their long-term sense of independence. So that no rescue policy, I talk about that in the book and I talk about that in my course, but that's a really important thing to implement early. But if you haven't implemented early, it's never too late. Even if your kids are teenagers, you can totally start implementing that right now and just turn over the reins. None of these strategies are too late to implement. I think it comes back to what I talk about in my books is crystal clear communication, you know, sitting down with them and having these open conversations with them. You know, children love that. No matter what age they are, they just want to know. And if we can have this open, honest dialogue with them, they will be grateful. And I know what you mean about the rescue policy because for a really long time, you know, I was reminding Leo to charge his laptop at night because they have to charge it every night and take it to school the next day fully charged. And so I'd be like, you charging your laptop? And then he'd go into, or I would even do it for him. And I'm like, what am I doing? Melissa, stop doing this. And I stopped doing it because I was like, it's, you know, I've really got to empower him. And he would forget. And so he would go to school with completely dead computer some days, but that only happened maybe twice. And now he's like, oh, I've got to charge my computer. And he remembers. So we really do need to just practice that no rescue policy. All of these tips are such great tips. Is there any others that you really love or that you have seen to make such a big impact in the family? 
Absolutely. But you know what? I just thought of something when you we talked about Leo forgetting to charge his laptop. So can we just take the script a couple steps further for your listeners? So when he comes home from school and he, you know, didn't have a sports bag or didn't have his computer charged up or whatever, there what could happen is he could try to blame it on you. You didn't remind me or whatever. And so it's really important that we as parents kind of empathize with him and say, oh, wow, that must have been difficult for you today. How did you handle that? Rather than the I told you so's. I told you, I told you to plug the, I told you to charge your laptop up. I told you not to forget your backpack. When we do the I told you so's, it immediately creates a power struggle between the parent and child. So we always want to respond with empathy. Oh my goodness, that must have been really difficult for you. And then move to the solution. So tomorrow, what do you want to do differently so you don't forget? Is there anything that I can do to help you with your system so that you don't forget tomorrow? So just I, I just want parents to be on the lookout for that I told you so attitude because that can really undermine everything that you're doing. But let's talk about another one of my favorite tools. And this we can start using when kids are pretty young, certainly all the way up into the teens. And let me set up the scenario. The child wants to do something that you haven't been comfortable letting him do before. He hasn't been allowed to do before. Maybe it's staying up late. Maybe it's riding his bicycle farther than you would have let him or going to a concert in another town, whatever it happens to be based on the age of your child. And they, they ask you to do that. And your first response would probably be, no, you know, you know the rules for that. We don't allow you to drive your bicycle over there unsupervised. So the tool that I love to use in this situation is called convince me. And it's really great for getting kids to do some planning, take responsibility and kind of think through all the things that could happen. So with convince me, your child is basically going to convince you that this is a good idea. And so what you would do is share your concerns. These are my concerns about you driving across town on your bike. These are my concerns about you getting a phone, whatever it happens to be. And then it is your child's job to go back and take those concerns and really thoughtfully consider them and then create his plan for how he would address those concerns. And then basically he's going to come back and convince you on why that's a good idea. And the beautiful thing about this tool is he is understanding your point of view, which is fostering his sense of empathy. It's developing his critical thinking skills and it forces him to think through, okay, what are all the things that could go wrong? And what would my game plan be in that situation? And so when he comes back with whatever he wants to convince you with, if you are convinced and you have a, a sense that he's thought this through and he has a plan in place and he has a backup plan, if that falls through, then you can say, you know what, you've really put a lot of thought into this and I feel comfortable with your plan. I'm going to say yes. And so then you kind of see how it goes. If he executes his plan and things go well, then he has sort of earned some goodwill in your mind. You're thinking, okay, yes, he is developing a greater sense of responsibility and independence. And so I might be more willing to give him a little bit more rope the next time he comes to me with something. 
On the other hand, if it doesn't go well, well, then that's another training opportunity that you know that you've got some work to do there. But I love this tool because it is sort of a shared decision. And it's not just the parent deciding yes or no and holding all the cards. The child has some power in this and he's taking responsibility for his own success. Mm, So important. Wow. I've never even thought of that. It's a really great tip. And you talk a lot about respect in the book and the basic needs of children. Can you talk a little bit about respect and their basic needs? Yes. So, of course, you know, children are just like adults. We all want to be treated with respect. And unfortunately, we parents, and I totally put myself into this category because I told you before, I'm kind of a very type A driver personality. We tend to do a lot of talking to kids. We do a lot of ordering, correcting, and directing them, kind of telling them what to do, when to do, and how to do it. And sometimes we yell at them, but then we get we get upset when they yell at their brother. And so very often, kind of, we have a double standard. Certain behaviors we're allowed to do, but they're not. And so it's really important that in our communication that we communicate with kids just like we would communicate with a coworker or a friend or hopefully our spouse or partner. And so just being aware of that communication style is really important. So the first thing, and I, I know you talk about this too, of course, you never have big conversations when people are angry or upset, right? Mm-hmm. Because that that doesn't do anybody any good. So you always try to have conversations at a calm moment. You try to use a calm voice with your kids as much as you can. And I recommend that parents put up visual reminders like a smiley face or just a post-it note that says calm voice, whatever they can around the house, because that just really focusing on your calm voice. And I call it your smile voice, like talking with a smile on your face, because it really makes a difference. That just changes the energy in the house. And it Kids feel so much more respected when we talk to them in that way. The other thing that we can do is, again, instead of telling kids to do, telling kids what to do all the time, let's say in the example of an assignment that's due, instead of saying, you know, you really need to get that science project done. Instead, you say, what is your plan for getting your science project done? What is your plan for? What is your plan for tidying up the room? That is so empowering and so respectful because, number one, it assumes that they absolutely have a plan in place. And even if they didn't, it gives them a chance to save face and they can say, oh, yeah, yeah, I was just, I was planning on doing that as soon as I finished the show. And you can say, great, I knew you had a plan in place. But it's just a more respectful form of communication. Another tool that you can use to show respect is to invite cooperation. Very often, we parents demand cooperation. You know, I I need you to do this now. Instead, if you say, you know, anything that you could do to help unload the groceries out of the car would be awesome. Anything that you could do to help get this living room cleaned up before we have company over would be so helpful. When we invite cooperation, rather than demanding it, it changes the energy. Kids are so much more willing and happy to help out because they know it's making a difference. They were invited to do this. Now, we're not going to invite their cooperation all the time. Sometimes they just have to do things because they have to do it. But if we balance that with more respectful communication and inviting them into the process, then that makes a big difference. 
Another way that we show respect for our kids is by creating what I call a decision-rich environment. And that means finding all sorts of opportunities to bring kids into the decision-making process. That could be planning the menu for the week, get them involved in that. Or we're going out to dinner on Saturday night and we can afford to spend $35. Can you go ahead and pick a restaurant that you think we would all enjoy? Or we're going on vacation and, you know, we have this much to spend for activities. Can you do some research and make suggestions on what you think the family would enjoy? By creating a decision-rich environment and bringing them into the process where appropriate, they're not going to have a say in every single thing, but the more that we can do that, not only does it foster their decision-making skills, but it shows respect for the child by by conveying that I really value what you think and your input is really important in this family. So the more that we can think about communicating with our kids in a respectful way and using strategies that have a, that show a respect for them, we'll get so much more cooperation from them and we'll just feel so much better about the relationship with them. Mm, we did that recently. We reno- were renovating our home. And so we would include Leo in on some of the, you know, well, what rug do you think would be best suited? Or what rug do you like the most? You know, if there was like two or three options and what color car do you love the most? You know, just little things like that, you know, where we wanted him to really feel respected and valued. But what about for the people listening who are like, I'm so sick of asking my child 45 times to get in the shower or clean up. Like for those parents who repeatedly have to ask their children to do something, what can we do in that case? Okay. So for those people who are so frustrated, they're ready to pull their hair out For them, more than anybody, it's so important to do the very basic things that we talked about at the beginning, so the mind, body, and soul time. If they do that one thing, they will get so much better cooperation. But remember, we also talked about the when-then routine. The when-then routine, I'm telling you, the parents that I work with, it is their favorite tool. Sometimes they overuse it. But when we create that women routine, if it's, you know, getting, if it's a battle over getting into the shower every night, then it becomes when you've had your shower and brushed your teeth, then we can have our special time. Or when you've had your shower, then you can have your 15 minutes of electronics time. You put it in a win-then format. It's not a battle, but it's simply a matter of if you want to enjoy X privilege, then or if you want to enjoy that privilege, you have to have do the kind of the yucky stuff first. So by employing a lot of those respect strategies that I mentioned, and especially mind, body, and soul time, combined with the when-then routines, they're going to get a lot of cooperation. Now, sometimes you have to get a little bit more consequential, but if we start with those strategies, that's going to be so much more effective than applying consequences. Mm, we, Nick and I don't believe in that and we don't believe in punishing or uh, physical, you know, anything like that. And we also, you know, really don't believe in rewarding with ice cream or rewarding with money or, I mean, each to their own, but that's not how we have chosen to parent. And I like that you talk about in the book, desirable activities. And this is really, you know, Nick and I sat down and we were like, what 
is meaningful to Leo. Like if we said to him, we're going to, he has a phone, but he doesn't use it. So if we said to him, we're going to take your phone away, that just wouldn't work for him because he doesn't care. You know, where for some other kids, that's a huge thing. And and Leo doesn't watch TV. So if we said, oh, we're going to take TV away, he wouldn't care. So we sat down and we were like, what is meaningful to Leo? Like what as an individual is very important to him and it's quality time. And we did the love languages for children, which is an amazing, we'll link to that in the show notes as well, like finding out what Leo's love language was and it is quality time. And so the way that we kind of incentivized with him is having this desirable activity, which you talk about in the book. And that for him is quality time. So that's the mind, body, and soul time. And so, you know, if we want to incentivize him to get his tasks done and his home, you know, his home study and get his home tasks done and get in the shower and do that, we always have like a desirable activity at the end of it so that he's got something to look forward to. And when we implemented this, he would speed through his shower and his teeth routine and, you know, the home tasks that he had to do, like uh, taking his plate over to the dishwasher and those sorts of things, taking the rubbish out, watering the plants. He would literally run through those as soon as there was this little desirable activity at the end of it. So that's really worked for us. Like we don't punish, we don't reward with you know, ice cream and stuff like that. That's not how we choose to parent. But putting this little desirable activity at the end of those things just made such a difference for him. Absolutely. And can we just touch on this reward thing for a minute? Because what you said is so important. And a lot of parents are using rewards to try to get their kids to do what they're supposed to do. And for parents who are doing that, I just beg you to come at, you can come to our site if you want or anywhere online and really do the research on rewards because there is a tremendous body of research out there that proves that when we use external rewards to motivate a particular behavior, it actually diminishes the child's internal motivation for that behavior. So what happens is they do the, they do the task for the reward, for the gimme, for the bonus, not because they're intrinsically motivated. So when that reward goes away, well, guess what happens? And as we look at this me, me, me epidemic, this entitlement epidemic, raising kids on rewards absolutely plays a part in that. Because if we are rewarding kids and paying them to do family jobs and paying them for good grades and all of these things, well, then of course, they're going to have a what's in it for me attitude. If we are paying kids and giving rewards and treats for doing things that are expected, the next time you ask that kid to do something that is maybe outside of their normal responsibilities, they're going to say, well, what am I going to get for that? So if you are using rewards right now, please, I encourage you, you can stop cold turkey. And again, let's talk about the script. All you have to say is, you know, when you were little, of course, we used rewards, but now you're growing up in so many ways and you're becoming so independent and capable. You don't need those rewards anymore. And, and your kids may grumble for like the, a day or two because they're not getting the rewards that they used to get, but you can go cold turkey and quit those rewards. Instead, what you want to substitute is encouragement. 
And so when they do a family job, instead of paying them pocket money to do that, you can just let them know how much their contributions make such a difference to your family. You know, our family could not function with all the important jobs that you do. And it means so much. So substitute encouragement rather than rewards, and you will be so much better off in the long run. And just like Melissa said, that when I talked about that when-then routine, we do the yucky stuff before the enjoyable stuff, that that's not a reward. It's something that we normally allow. So Melissa's normally doing a special time with Leo, or a child is normally allowed to have you know 30 minutes of technology time, or a TV show, or to go out to the park and play with his friends, or to leave for soccer practice. Those are normally allowed activities. We're just arranging the schedule so or the routine so that the undesirable tasks, the family jobs, the home study, you know, getting the bath, brushing the teeth, whatever has to be done, that yucky stuff all happens before the more desirable activity. So think through kind of your your daily routines and see how you might tweak things, move things around so the yucky stuff happens before the more enjoyable stuff. And I think that you'll have a lot less grumbling and groaning during those different routines of the day. Yes, I love it. I wanted to talk a little bit about pocket money and allowances and and that sort of thing, because this is something that we learned a lot through Barefoot Investor for Children, which is a book I'll link to in the show notes. It's an amazing book because we were like, okay, how do we do this? We don't want to just give Leo money. Like, how can we do this? And what we have done is, so he gets, he has his normal tasks that are part of living in our house. They are things like taking out the rubbish, watering the plants. He dusts uh, the skirting boards, making his bed, cleaning his room, like all those sorts of things, putting his washing away, that sort of stuff. And he doesn't get paid for those. And then there's like extra things on top, like washing the car, you know, cleaning the whole balcony. So sweeping and mopping and dusting and doing the balcony, which is a big job. And so he gets paid for those things. And so there's, we kind of split them into two. There is, there is tasks that are part of just living in our household and contributing to this household. And then there's extra things which he gets paid for because we were like, how do we, we don't want to pay him for doing the things that are just part of living in this house. So that's that's what we've done and that's worked really well, like splitting them into two. And Leo has really got a lot out of that. And then he's always, he's also even asked, can I do extra things? And so that's when we're like, okay, we have to really think. We're like, okay, what else can we do? Like, you got to get creative here. We don't have a lawn, so we can't mow the lawn, you know, things like that. So that's what's worked for us in our household. And and then also, you know, when he gets the money, he can decide whether he wants to put it. We've got three jars and he's got a give, a save and a spend jar. And he has to divvy up his money into those three. So give is some charity work that we do with him. He can save it or he can spend it. So he can put it in his spend jar where he can, maybe he's saving up for a new cricket bat or new rock climbing shoes, which is what he's saving up for at the moment. So he kind of put he kind of puts that in there and then he'll go and buy that, you know, next time he goes out. So that's what's worked for us. But I'm curious, do you have any other little tips or what's worked for you? 
Yes. And I think the way I would describe it would be very similar, just maybe a few little tweaks. So I want to just address what you talked about at the very beginning about not paying kids for daily jobs, because there is a school of thought that says, well, you know, I get paid when I go to work. So if I'm asking my kids to work, why wouldn't I pay them? And the the thing that I would ask you to consider is, you know, yes, like I get paid when I do my job teaching parents and you get paid when you go to work, but I don't get paid to go grocery shopping or to cook meals or when I do laundry or any of those home tasks. Those are all things that I do because that keeps the family running. And so just like Melissa said, you know, Leo has jobs that he does because he's part of the family. So I highly encourage all of our listeners to make sure that they have a list of tasks that they do daily and they do weekly. And daily tasks, of course, are just the things that have to be done every day. But then weekly tasks would be kind of a bigger thing. So perhaps on the weekends, there's a bigger job. If you have a lawn, it's perhaps mowing the lawn or maybe folding the laundry, just some bigger contribution that they might do on the weekend when they have a little bit more time. So kids don't get paid for those things. However, for those extra jobs, and I call those jobs for hire, Those are basically jobs that you might hire somebody to do, but in this case, the contractor just happens to be your kid. And so (laughs) you let them know what that job is. You let them know what your expectations are for the job. And just like any contractor, if they do the job to your expectation, then you'll be happy to pay them. Now, you're not going to nag them about getting the job done. It's just if they do it, they'll get paid. And if not, they won't get paid. Now, the one little tweak that I would offer up is we have family jobs that don't get paid for, we have jobs for hire, but I would still advocate giving your kids an allowance or pocket money. And and outside of jobs, outside of everything else, it's just this is the amount of money they get each week or each month. And the reason that that's important is what I talked about earlier in the show is that they have expenses that they're responsible for. So maybe like if you've been buying them a a milkshake or a smoothie on the way home from practice, well, now you give them a chunk of money each week and out of that, they pay for their own smoothies or they pay for their trips to the movies or for their, their music downloads or whatever it is. Now, again, this is assuming before they're old enough to have a job and that sort of thing. If you pay for their lunch at school... Again, instead, you just give them that money in their allowance or their pocket money, and then they budget it. So that's really, I would like for us to think about allowance or pocket money as a training tool, training kids to use money, spend money, save money, just like Melissa talked about. And they can also earn more money because we don't want to be giving them so much money that they're just flush with cash, right? They want to, we want them to be a little bit like, oh, I don't really know if I have enough money to do everything I want to do. So I'm going to be entrepreneurial in nature and do some of these jobs for hire that mom or dad have laid out for me. Does that make sense, Melissa? Yes. Yes. Makes so much sense. And these are all things that we need to think about. But one thing I wanted to ask you is how can we make this really fun. Not just, you know, when we're talking about money with our kids, but, you know, when we're wanting to implement time for training and when then and all these amazing mindful tools, how can we make it fun for the kids? Well, and it should be fun for the parents too, yes, right? Exactly. And so, yes, and I so I think the key to that is, well, for everybody really is to not try to do too much too soon. Don't get overwhelmed. 
And so I would love for parents to take one or two of the tools that we've talked about in this show and just implement that. And, and let's make mind, body, and soul the first one you do. And you're, that's going to be fun for your kids, believe me. And it's going to be fun for you because you're going to feel great about yourself as a parent. And then pick one of the other ones that I talk about. Maybe probably when then routines would be a great one to start with. But so much of it is in your attitude and your tone of voice. And rather than it be, okay, there's a new sheriff in town and we're doing things a new way. And it's just fun. This is how we do things because you guys are really growing up. The other way that you can make this super fun is by incorporating a lot of these tools like take time for training into a weekly family meeting. A family meeting is so powerful and fun because the whole family's getting together. You can do some fun little training. You can, if you have several children, you can have the older ones training the younger ones so that they're getting experience with that. And so you bring them into the process. The more that you can bring them into all of these things that we're implementing, they're going to get a sense of significance from it, a sense of positive power. And it's just going to go so much more smoothly, which is going to make it more fun for everybody. Mm-hmm. That's what it's going to be. That's that's the best. When it's fun for everyone, that is the best. But I'd love to hear now if you could put one book in the school curriculum of every high school around the world, besides your books, what is one book that you would choose? That is a great question. I would say you know, something around fiscal responsibility. So perhaps the one that you mentioned, which was the Barefoot Investor. Yes, that's amazing. Yes. that I, I would say that would probably be one off the top of my head. I have to just really think about it. I don't have another one off the top of my head that, now as soon as we get off the show, I'm going to think of 15 books <laughs> that would be just perfect. But I think really on some of those skills that really don't get caught, taught in school. The other thing too, is I just think that if there are, and again, I'd have to think about books targeted for, you know, the youth age group as opposed to adults, but, you know, things on empathy and really understanding, you know, other people's point of view, because I do think in, in our society today with social media and just everything else that is going on, sometimes there's a a bit of a lack of empathy for other people. And so I think some, you know, training on those types of skills would be really important as well. Mm, Absolutely. These are life skills. We we all need to cultivate them. Mm -hmm. Well, and again, it's that, like we talked about earlier, it's, you know, moving children from being completely dependent on us to being completely independent from us. And that takes a lot of intention. It just does not happen by accident. We really have to be intentional about it. And without it being overwhelming, that's why we say just kind of pick one tool at a time. But, you know, you'll be so glad you did when when your child is going off to university or to whatever his next step is. And you can think, oh, you know, well done. This, This child is capable, is resilient, is independent, and has the skills he needs to be successful and a contributor in society. Mm -hmm. So important. Now, I'd love to hear about a bit more about you and how you set yourself up for your day. You know, do you have a little morning routine? I love hearing about how people prime themselves for the day. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about you and how you start your day. 
I always try to be mindful of, of course, my phone is always by my bed because I use it as my alarm clock. But before I ever reach for my phone, like before, I always just want to make sure I pray. I'm thankful. And I just sort of prioritize in my mind what is most important. You know, my kids are mostly out of the house now. So connecting with my husband is kind of the first priority of my day. And then just sort of planning, okay, what what do I want to accomplish today? You know, if I only got three things done, what would they be? And of course, like most people, I try to be mindful of self-care self care, and making sure that I'm always doing something to take care of myself through nutrition and hydration and exercise and those types of things. And I do pretty well, not, not as well as I should, but just trying to be mindful of my day and taking care of the people that I'm responsible for and care about, and which includes, of course, my my parent community that I serve every day. Like that's, that's why I wake up and, and do what I do because I want to serve those folks. So those are just sort of the things that I, I kind of start out with and I, I don't always do them perfectly. That's for sure. But that's, that's my intent. Love it. Now I've got three rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready? Absolutely. What is one thing that we can do today for our health? The one gallon water challenge. Yes, I, I'm sure you've been reading about that online. I just bought my big, my big one gallon jug that has the markings on it, and that's something that I'm going to start doing. But I think we all could do a much better job in terms of hydration. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna start with that one. Yes, so many people, so many people on this show always talk about the importance of drinking clean, filtered water. It's just one of the best things that you can do for your health. Absolutely. And what is one thing that we can do for our wealth? So more abundance in all areas of our life. Well, I think one of the things that we can do for our wealth is by actually giving more because, you know, People that you talk to that give more feel that they they end up getting more back, and so I think that is certainly you know something to consider, depending on your financial situation and so forth. But again, always always focusing on on savings, and I think I I, I probably am personally a little paranoid about that, but I think that just always making sure that you have enough in savings if that emergency happened, whether it was a little emergency with a car or a big emergency with a family crisis, that you are just always putting money in that long-term savings so that you can, you know, you can be prepared if something like that happens. Yes. And what is one thing that we can do for more love in our life? Hmm. The one thing we can do for more love is to give more again. Right. It's the more that the more that you give and the more that you serve others. So whether it's your children or you, especially your partner, if we focus more on meeting their needs and filling them up emotionally and just again, operate from a spirit of giving rather than scorekeeping and, and you know, what am I getting out of it? I, I think that we're going to have better relationships. And if we just always try to operate as much as we can with a servant heart, with all of the people that are important to us, I think we're going to feel more love, more joy, and more passion for, for our relationships and for what we do. Mm-hmm. Love that. That's so beautiful. Now, is there anything else that you want to share? Anything that I didn't ask you about or any last parting words of wisdom? I, I think my last... 
parting word for parents is to show grace to yourself, show forgiveness to yourself, because we are imperfect beings and we will mess up and we'll yell and we'll regret the way we handled things and then we feel guilty about it. But if we could just give ourselves forgiveness, give ourselves some grace and realize, okay, this was a learning opportunity. And I know that I can I can turn this around. I can do this better next time. And so I, I just think, you know, again, in it, with the social media world and everything is Pinterest perfect and everybody's lives look beautiful and ours look like a big sloppy mess that we're, we're really doing okay. You love your kids. You're doing the best things you can for your kids. Hopefully you'll take some of these tools that we've talked about and implement them and be even more intentional in your parenting. But you're, I'm sure you're doing a really good job right now and just, you know, show forgiveness, show forgiveness for yourself and, and enjoy the ride a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And finally, I have one more question for you. I'm a massive believer in service and being of service. So I would love to know how I and the listeners can serve you today. What can we do to serve you? That is such a lovely question. And I thank you for that. I would be so grateful if you would visit my website, positiveparentingsolutions.com. And if you like it, share it with the folks in your tribe. So whether that's putting it on social media, hey, I saw this great article from Amy McCready at positiveparentingsolutions.com. Just share anything that you found helpful on my site and that would be fabulous. We can do that. And we'll link to everything in the show notes so people can come and find all of your amazing books, your courses, everything. So we'll link to all of that in the show notes. And before I go, Amy, I just wanted to say thank you so much for your time, for your tips, your wisdom today. It's been awesome. And thank you for your incredible books. They are life-changing. And if you are a parent, grab these books. If you one day want to have kids, please grab these books now because they're life-changing and they have transformed my life and your courses, everything is just so amazing. So I wanted to thank you for the work that you're doing, for being a light and for sharing all of your wisdom and your knowledge and for helping us parents out there, giving, shining the torch before us. It's just awesome. So thank you so much. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you for the opportunity to chat with you and, and serve your tribe today. It's been fun. I loved it. How awesome was that? I got so much out of today's episode, so many tips and tricks, and I'm really going to work on implementing these into my life, and I'm excited to see what unfolds. But if you got a lot out of this too, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review in iTunes or on your podcast app because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And don't forget to come and join the MA Tribe private Facebook group where you can share your insights from this episode, plus you can tell me who else you want me to get on the show. It's also a very sacred space where we can come together to discuss all things Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide, along with anything else that you feel called to contribute to the open and honest conversations. You will also get some extra love and support personally from me that I won't be offering anywhere else. Now, one thing I get asked a lot is where can I find my tribe or where can I find like-minded people? This is the place. 
So head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash tribe to join now. You are going to love it. The energy in there, the support, the love in there is just my favorite place ever. So head there now and join our tribe. And for everything that Amy and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes, and that is over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 215. And you can also listen to all my other episodes there too. And don't forget that if you want to be the review of the week for next week, make sure you head on over to iTunes and you leave me that five-star review right now. I would be so grateful. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here for wanting to be the best version of yourself and for showing up today for you. You seriously rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, maybe it's a mum friend or maybe it's your partner, please share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them. Just do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears so that together we can all raise capable and grateful children. And until next time, my darling, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Before I go, don't forget, if you are a female coach, consultant, or service provider wanting to take your business to six or seven figures, check out SheLaunch. All you have to do is head to SheLaunch.com, watch the free training on that page, and book in your free call. That's SheLaunch.com. Head there right now, and I cannot wait to meet and work with you and take you and your business to the stars. Now is the time, my friend.